I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News and author of the best-selling book, Breaking the News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast on a Veterans Day. We've got a big show lined up for you today. We'll give you the latest in the increasingly absurd Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which I'm pretty sure should never have happened to begin with. Yet it is happening, but maybe it'll end soon, uh, and I'll break all that down, plus the latest Biden inflation numbers, which are really bad for anyone who likes to eat breakfast food prices soaring as our gas prices and Joe Biden just can't seem to wrap his mind around why that could be. I certainly can't think of anything. And at least he's taken a deep ownership over all the problems facing the country. Oh, wait a minute. He's blaming Trump for it all. Trump is blamed for it all. Uh, also, COVID cases are soaring around the world. We'll touch on that in a bit. Plus, our interview with Josh Mandel, one of the candidates for Senate in Ohio, and a guy who I think has really internalized a lot of the themes that we've talked about at Breitbart and reported on over the last decade and a half. Uh, And I I think that we're seeing a, a good crop of candidates for office across the country who really do seem to get some of these uh, new, more populist, more nationalistic, more anti-establishment values that we talk about on a regular basis. Plus, one of the more surreal and unbelievable calls of the day, arguably the call of the year, we'll have that towards the end, where a truck driver called in and spoke about his experience with his trans girlfriend, certainly can't miss. Also want to recommend to all of you, go to Breitbart.com throughout the day for all the latest headlines. And I get the three-hour show, as always, on Sirius XM Patriot at 6 a.m. live every day on the Patriot channel number 125. You'd also get it on the SXM app, but there's just so many big stories and we just can't touch on them all in a 45-minute or an hour-long podcast, such as a Soros-backed LADA named George Gascon, who's released a murderer six years into a 50-year sentence. But we've got a huge interview with Governor Greg Abbott at Breitbart.com with really high production quality and video with our deputy politics editor, Amanda House, and not a softball interview, so you will enjoy that one, I think. And on the show today, in the full show, I break down Columbia University saying that using wrong pronouns violates their non-discrimination policy, and they articulated this message via an absurd cartoon video, all that at Breitbart.com or with the full show. Um, But before we get into the monologue, I do want to point out that we have a great sponsor called AMAC, and AMAC is a group that I have been a fan of for a long time as sort of the conservative alternative to the AARP, and they are an advocacy group and benefits organization that has more than 2 million members and counting the Association of Mature American Citizens. It's become one of the most impactful conservative organizations in America. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a magazine full of insightful takes on today's most important issues. But most importantly, AMAC is working tirelessly to preserve the freedom secured by our Constitution. With a full-time presence on Capitol Hill, AMAC is pushing back against the efforts to defund our police, weaken our borders, and replace your freedom with government control, all of which are themes of today's show. Stand with me and over 2 million patriots by joining right now at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. That's amac.us forward slash Breitbart. The benefits are great, but the cause is greater. Join amac.us forward slash Breitbart. Great sponsors, great organization. They've got my support. Let's get into the news. There was a CNN poll yesterday that three out of four people believe Facebook harms society. Now, I, I always read all these studies about how America's on the wrong track. A lot of people think that Facebook is wrong because it doesn't censor enough. That's why people don't like Facebook, because it is uh, it allows too much information to be shared. Um, but then there are folks like me who think that the problem with Facebook is that you've got these very strange individuals that make up a very small subsection of society picking and choosing what information you've access to. And ends up uh, uh, we all, and the net result is we've all been at each other's throats for the last half decade, if not more. Uh, we've got uh, terrible perceptions of what the world is, uh, what the world ought to be like that are totally unrealistic. And um, then we we also have our elections that are controlled by these people who don't even know who they are because they're controlling our, our information, which is sad to me, which is sad. But that is the way of the world. And everyone has their own beef with the masters of the universe, which I suppose is uh, somewhat of a positive. And the biggest story yesterday is definitely what's going on with Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which is gone from a mockery into a sham. 
And those of you who followed it online, it's pretty stunning. I can't tell you how many people I respect online who have said that they've withheld trying to cast judgment on this one until they've seen the trial play out. And it has been a disaster for the prosecution every step of the way to the point where the judge seems to be beside himself with some of the insanity of the uh, uh, of of the prosecution's case, who doesn't really have a case in the majority of charges. They're trying to charge Kyle Rittenhouse with murder. Uh, and everything we've seen in the trial suggests it's textbook self-defense. They could potentially get him on a gun charge, um, which is uh, still a possibility, which is part of why the, the biggest moment yesterday probably was when um, the defense moved for a mistrial, which I think was a surprise to a lot of people who are unfamiliar with how the system works, myself included. I was kind of surprised by that because I said, it looks like they're winning. Why do they want a mistrial? And it's actually something called a mistrial with prejudice is what they were going after, which means the charges are thrown out uh, for good. It means that there's it's not a mistrial and, and you run it back. You do it again. It's a mistrial, which would mean that everything would go away. And then Kyle Rittenhouse would go free, which is um, it could be a good gambit for them because, again, he could walk on the, the 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 murder charge and almost certainly will. But then if they get him on a weapons charge, it still doesn't make his life better anyway. So uh, if you're the defense, I think you would see that as the big win, which I think surprised a lot of people. Uh, yesterday, Joel Pollack, who's senior editor at large and host of Breitbart News Sunday every Sunday night on the Patriot Channel and on demand, commercial free, uh, has done an incredible job kind of anchoring our coverage on that. Let's play a a taste of how bad the Rittenhouse prosecution has been. Here is a prosecutor named Thomas Binger, 7A, Mr. Paul. Hollow point bullets are designed to hit the animal that they're being shot at. Let's say a deer, for example and explode inside that body, correct? No, I don't I don't think so. Yeah, when you say explode, <laughs> are you saying expand or explode? Because there are such things as exploding bullets. Sure. Let me let me rephrase. Mr. Rittenhouse, what is your understanding of what a hollow point bullet would do that if it were shot at say a deer? I, I don't think people use hollow point those of you who have spent, I don't know, two hours in an NRA trading class, which is available to Mr. Binger, uh, you would know that it is an expansion. That is what the hollow point bullet does. It is not an explosion. And um, anyone who knows the first thing about guns uh, will will learn that because they teach it pretty early because I don't know a ton about them, to be honest. Most of my gun education has taken place on this show um, via our, our Second Amendment expert guests. But I have done a few of those NRA courses, uh, and they teach you that pretty much right at the beginning. So you learn what a hollow point bullet's all about. But what's striking here is, is this isn't just some guy, Thomas Binger. He's the uh, uh, assistant district attorney, and he is a in trying to get this guy on a gun charge. And he's part of a narrative that is a anti-gun movement. He's part of a left-wing narrative, which is the Second Amendment is bad. We need to confiscate more guns. And guys like Kyle Rittenhouse, who were all the evidence that we've seen and suggested, whether misguided or not, was trying to do some good in a chaotic situation where law enforcement lost control of Kenosha, Wisconsin. It seems to be acting thus far, appears to be acting in good faith. Until proven otherwise, that's where we're at. And he's trying to get this guy on a, on a gun charge, and he's part of a narrative where guns are bad. Guns are the bad guy here, one of the bad guys in the room. And he doesn't even know the first thing about what, what hollow point bullets are. Um, we're going to do a roundup. There were several other times where Kyle Rittenhouse, who took the stand, and uh, which was unexpected and was very shocking to the Internet. The Internet got very excited when this happened. Um, it, where he was correcting the guy who's trying to bust him on basics. And Kyle Rittenhouse is 18 years old. Um, another disgraceful moment for social media that was very informative is to see some of the reactions online when Kyle Rittenhouse w- was crying pretty dramatically, uh, breaking down in tears, discussing the shootings that took place in Kenosha in August of 2020. Of Two people died, and he's standing trial for that. Um, and then you see people like LeBron James uh, tweeting, what tears question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. I didn't see one. Man, knock it off. That boy ate some lemon heads before walking into court. A sideways, tilted, smiley face with teary eyes times three. That is what it was pretty typical of the left-wing crowd. And we've done some roundups of some of the more egregious tweets, and, and we'll have some more up there 
But a lot of people are saying that he was acting, a lot of actors saying he was doing some bad acting here. It's very interesting because I have a three-year-old, and it really did look like the, the I just saw in Rittenhouse's face that he's just a boy. And he's a boy who killed two people, but it appears in self-defense, and shot another guy. And he obviously got himself into a, a, a bit of trouble here. But you do see a boy there who's struggling with a situation that uh, none of us would ever want to face. He's standing on a murder trial, 18 years old. And he there is a huge desire by the establishment media in the United States that he's convicted. They're doing everything they can to frame it as though not only should he be convicted, but the president of the United States said that he's a white supremacist, Joe Biden, as he did last year. So if you're strong enough to guarantee that you wouldn't cry in such a situation, by all means, let me know. But then you have Hollywood piling on LeBron James. Seems like a moron. Suggesting that he was faking it all. Tulsi Gabbard, who's become a huge fan favorite at Breitbart, and one of only a couple elected Democrats that have ever been on the show because they're Frady Cats, uh, said that Rittenhouse tragedy never would have happened if police protected people. Oh, wow. That is interesting. That's a take right there. The prosecutor in the Rittenhouse trial clearly didn't do due diligence before making the decision to prosecute. The tragedy never would have happened if the government carried out its responsibilities to protect the safety, lives, and property of innocent people. That is true. Where the, the blame lies specifically, we could spend a lot of time on that, but there's no doubt that, in essence, the law enforcement breakdown in Kenosha, that was uh, largely due to the fact that Republicans and Democrats alike, but obviously the defund the police movement and the pro-Black Lives Matter politicians like Kamala Harris play a big role in this, the fact that they allowed law enforcement to break down to this level. Uh, and recall, the Republican administration was not uh, big into quashing some of these riots because I think that they were advised by certain people inside of the White House that uh, it would get framed as Donald Trump as a racist. So Trump condemned them. But again, there was not much that was done to stop these things. So Carl Rittenhouse takes it upon himself to be a do-gooder and things went wrong. Things went sideways. Things went cattywampus. But that doesn't mean the guy should get uh, executed in the public square, which is what the left wants. Um, he's almost certainly going to walk on the murder charges. We'll see. But uh, this mistrial with prejudice would be the big win for him because then that would mean it, all the charges would go away. Uh, a key Rittenhouse witness claimed the prosecution asked him to change his statement. It's just fundamental mistakes. One after the next after the next at one point had the judge screaming at the prosecution or raising his voice. Maybe screaming is a little bit of a exaggeration. Probably annoyed because uh, the, we were speculating in the Breitbart newsroom, this guy probably hunts deer. And then he's watching this clown tell him that uh, the hollow point bullets explode inside the deer. He was starting to get annoyed. But he was saying that he doesn't believe the prosecution, the judge, uh, Bruce Schroeder, and said that there could be a massive, con a grave constitutional violation because he was trying to get um, Rittenhouse to do something that was conflicting with his Fifth Amendment right to remain silent, um, which is a really interesting exchange. I don't fully, as a non-attorney, I can't fully explain it probably perfectly, but it was uh, clearly the judge is not happy with the prosecution, and who would be? They're just doing a, a, a poor job in general, and even I think neutral attorneys online have been kind of pointing that out. So that was a big thing. We'll keep that going at Breitbart News for you throughout the day and probably into next week, though I guess we could see this mistrial of, uh, by prejudice today conceivably, and that would, that would kind of wrap stuff up today. But we'll see. We'll probably go into next week, and we'll go from there. The other big story yesterday was just ridiculous Biden inflation numbers. Soaring food costs are now at the point where it's actually even striking food banks. Consumer prices rose at 6.2%. Uh, John Carney, who's our economic and finance editor, has written up this data that came from the Department of Labor. The consumer price index is on the rise at a rate that we have not seen since the year 1990. And we reported yesterday in the show how Thanksgiving is going to be your most expensive ever by a mile. And now we are seeing rising prices in milk, cereal, bacon, eggs, muffins, juice, and coffee. So it's pretty much everything you have for breakfast. Fresh fruit, apples, peanut butter, baby food, fresh juice, frozen juice, breakfast sausage. So basically anything you eat before noon, you're paying more now. And Joe Biden, who is president of the United States, 
had a line about the current gas prices that was one of the best self-owns I've seen in such a while. Let us play 1C, Mr. Paul. So on the one hand, we're facing new disruptions to our supplies. At the same time, we're also experiencing higher demand for goods because wages are up as well as, as well as people have money in the bank. Because of the strength of our economic recovery, American families have been able to buy more products. And, but guess what? They're not going out to dinner and lunch and going to local bars because of COVID. So what are they doing? They're staying home, they're ordering online, and they're buying product. But with more people with money buying product and less product to buy, what happens? The supply chain's the reason. The answer is you guys. I'll get to that in a minute. But what happens? Prices go up. So we got nearly 20% more goods coming into the country than we did before the pandemic struck. In 19 days, excuse me, COVID-19 has changed the way we spend our time and our money. More products are being delivered than ever before. That's because people have a little more breathing room than they did last year, and that's a good thing. But it also means we got higher demand for goods at the same time we're facing disruptions in the supplies to make those goods. There's a res this is a recipe for delays and for higher prices, and people are feeling it. They're feeling it. Do you ever think you're paying this much for a gallon of gas? In some parts of California, they're paying $4.50 a gallon. Pause. Did you ever think you'd be paying this much for a gallon of gas? I don't know, Joe. Mr. Stop Every Pipeline Guy. Let me see. Who might know a thing or two about this? Oh, how about you, the President of the United States? Maybe you could help with this. There was this thing. What was it? Keystone Extra Medium. What was it called? Keystone Extra Small? No, no. Keystone XL. That's what it was. That was the pipeline. You shut it down right away on day one to pander to the Green Lobby. The biggest fools on the planet who are all taking private planes and motorcades to gather in Europe. Meanwhile, China says they're going to burn as much coal as possible. Those clowns. You rolled over to them. And that's why the gas prices are what they are. And you're still shutting down more pipelines because you're a big weenus who kowtows to the green movement. Did you ever think you'd be paying this much? Oh, my goodness. And he's underselling it. I mean, California, one town in Big Sur. Uh, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world, is over $7 now for a gallon of gas. And his explanation, the rest of his explanation, is wishful thinking at best and lying at worst. I, I loved his uh, gaffe there where he says, in 19 days, I mean COVID-19, that was a, uh, sometimes his computer glitches up. You get that little pinwheel thing on the screen spinning and spinning, and then he comes back online. Uh, people do not have breathing room. That is not true. The Biden inflation is accelerating much faster than wage growth. So that is a lie. And this is one where I'm very curious how this is going to go because he's waging this war in the middle class. This is what it is. There's no other way to put it. It's a war in the middle class because every move he's making is going to extend the pressure on the middle class. The lower classes, he is working on a cradle-to-grave handout system, welfare system, biggest welfare expansion maybe ever, at least since you know the New Deal. That's what he's working on. Um, and the elite in this country at this moment, the gap between the rich and the poor is so huge that the people, you know, beyond the top 1%, they're not, they don't really care about this stuff. I mean, they, they, they care in the sense that they know it's bad for uh, everything in their portfolio, but they're not, you know, heating oil is not affecting people who are making half a million dollars or more a year. Um, but the people who are in the middle are getting squeezed at every part of their life. And they know tax hikes are coming. They know inflation is here and it's not transitory. It's going to be around for a while. They know the gas prices are up. And the wages are not rising commensurate with these increases. The supply chain issues have been going on for so long, and he has no hope in resolving them. A lot of them are traced to China, which you can't even talk about. And a lot of them is traced to the globalists who ended America as a manufacturing powerhouse. And so we're so reliant on things that come from the Far East. Um, those of you who are new listeners, I've been relaying that I got a new, I moved houses um, earlier in the year. And I wanted to upgrade my uh, home audio, a bit of an audio file. I was a music major growing up uh, or in a college, UC Berkeley. So played the symphony, a great symphony when I was in high school, Harvard Westlake School, one of the best schools on the West Coast until it went full CRT cuckoo. But that is a, so, so, so I, I was excited to upgrade um, home stereo, uh, planned out a big thing with the outdoor speakers and the indoor speakers and 
uh, getting everything connected, and there's one problem. I can't get an amplifier. There's a couple out there. I could conceivably get them, but they're ones from the, you know, some of these brands that have a lot of hype and celebrity marketing and stuff, and, you know, they're, they're way overpriced. But the one I want, um, I cannot get. I've not been able to get it for six months, and that means I've delayed getting other stuff that I would get. I would didn't get the outdoor speakers. I didn't get the speakers for the for the dining room. You know, all that because I need to hook it up to the amplifier. So there's one chip that's missing, basically. And that means that I'm holding back on potentially a couple thousand dollars worth of expenditures. That's an example that illustrates how these supply chain problems have persisted. And they've been going on his whole presidency. And he's further today from solving them than he was six months ago when they really presented themselves. So in 19 days because COVID-19, that's why it's happening. The good news, though, is he's really taking ownership of this because the buck stops here, as has been the pre- the expression. Uh, and you can tell this because that was exactly the message Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff, put out on MSNBC yesterday. Let's play 2C, Mr. Paul. And I wonder what your theory of the case is, what your analysis is of what happened last Tuesday for Democrats. Well, look, Nicole, I understand that voters are frustrated. We inherited a mess from Donald Trump. We inherited uh, 4,000 people a day dying from COVID. Uh, We inherited only 50,000 jobs being created a month. Uh, Giant supply chain problems, all these problems. I'm proud of the progress we've made in these 10 months. There you go. All right. So I I, I guess I misspoke. I guess the buck doesn't stop stop here. I guess the buck stops with Trump, who hasn't been president for 10 months. Okay. How long does Biden get before he actually gets to take ownership of his own administration? Uh, Maybe his priorities are in the wrong place. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe he fell asleep at the wheel trying to get some stuff through that is not necessarily going to help the Americans that need the help at this time. That's just my thought. I'm just wondering how much this sells because ultimately people on the left are committed to the left, but there's going to come a point where it's going to become clearer and clearer to people that Biden's incompetence is hurting them in their personal lives. Not just hurting them theoretically or hypothetically, or they don't like some of the patterns that are going on, but literally they are having a harder time to feed their families and fill their gas tank and heat their homes where they might just say, oh, wait a minute, this is a problem here. And this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And Pete Buttigieg talking about his transportation secretary, the racism of the roads and the bridges, which might not have totally been wrong because of Democrats, by the way. Maybe that's not where the focus should be. Maybe the focus shouldn't be where John Kerry, the climate czar, is one of the richest people who flies private jets in American public life, flies halfway around the world. So you can say stuff like this. Play 5A, Mr. Paul. By 2030 in the United States, we won't have coal. We will not have coal plants. By 2035, President Biden has set a target that we will be in our power sector carbon free. We're the largest oil and gas producer in the world, but we're saying we're going to be carbon-free in the power sector by 2035. I think that's leadership. It's leadership. So we're going to cut coal by 2030. So they just want to squeeze you more, squeeze you and squeeze you and squeeze you, and the media suggests that this is uh, this is perhaps a good thing and that the inflation might be a good thing. High gas prices might be good. Inflation might be good. Uh, it's a, you can write all the articles they want on the MSNBC opinion pages or in the opinion pages of Bloomberg. But when in your personal life do you decide you throw in your hands up saying, I'm done with this? Other things that I think are worth mentioning at the outset of the show, and then you can opine 866-95-PATRIOT. Uh, the Border Patrol projects 1.8 million migrant apprehensions in 2022. So they think it's just going to go up from where it is now. And this is an exclusive report from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection or from a source within there and uh, that we have at Breitbart News with Randy Clark, one of our border and cartel reporters. And recall that we apprehensions, we think somewhere between one and two migrants who come up from south of the border, a.k.a. illegal aliens, for every one that's apprehended, there's one or two that is not apprehended. So that's the math. So if 1.8 million get apprehended, that means we're talking about somewhere between 3.6 million and 5.4 million are actually entering the country illegally. And yet you're going to be told that there's still just 11 million illegal aliens, same number that I was told when I was a kid. That's all that's in the country. 
And this is part of the agenda, part of the design of the Biden administration, the branded administration. Should I break into a, a Let's Go Brandon chant or is it just not not good timing? It's very funny because I've been getting a lot of great feedback on the show because there's a lot of new listeners and uh, because of the new podcast, which has been really great. And I uh, have been kind of looking at the pattern and the feedback I've been getting. And um, the one of the things that a couple people have said is that they would like for me to to try to have a little more fun in the monologue section. And I I do have fun, to be honest with you. It is enjoyable. Uh, But I was uh, I was thinking about the concept of, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to try to have more fun when I'm reporting to the public that we're going to get somewhere between three point six and five point four illegal aliens to come up through the southern border totally unnecessarily next year because Joe Biden remove remain in Mexico, stop building the wall and doesn't have enough customs and border agents who do not have the back of the administration anyway and are treated as though they're monsters, even though they're just trying to enforce our laws. So I should have a great time in reporting that. It, it is fun. It is fun. Really enjoyable to give you guys all that horrible news. People are acknowledging that the Biden inflation is not temporary. That is a good thing. I think people are acknowledging that the green uh, agenda to some degree is a hoax so long as China is not participatory think that is a good thing to some degree but these are really bad numbers here and i'm just very curious how long biden's war in the middle class can go on before it starts actually eroding uh, democrat voters he's lost all the republicans and most of the independents at this point the question the last question though is will he start losing democrats and if that's the case i'd be very very interested to see how this plays out because will they try to jettison the guy that's the question and kamala harris is less popular than he is Last one for the opening today. The U.S. is, uh, according to a report I'm reading in the Daily Mail, that the U.S. is one of only seven countries in the Western world making kids wear masks in schools. Uh, This is another one where in my neighborhood, I'm just getting my three-year-old Master Marlow ready to go to preschool. And, you know, I called every preschool in the area and I said, you wear masks. And most of them are because the county we live in requires masks. And, you know, one I had one nice conversation with school says they will not enforce the mask. They, they violate the, the kids freedom. Uh, and I said, uh, uh, good, that makes sense, because, you know, I come from a medical household. My wife was a frontline coronavirus doctor. And, you know, they don't think the, the, the mask for the kids are, 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 are necessary. And um, the 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 headmaster of the school um, said, yeah, we have a lot of doctors and nurses uh, families at the school. And they all say the same thing. Oh, really? That's interesting. So everyone kind of knows this, that the kids don't need to be masked, and yet we are one of seven countries in the West that are willing to do it. It's very interesting when people ask me from time to time if we're like on the brink of a civil war or something. I, I, I don't think so, because I do think that our, our rebellious streak is not nearly as wide as some of you would like to think it is. Those of you in the Soros-funded freak portion of the audience, I disavow all political violence, just for the record. But I do think that the we can start at least rebelling against the anti-science masks. We can do some of that, can't we? A little bit, making our kids wear it. Even the UK, Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Australia, those are supposed to be the good countries, right, left-wingers? They don't require kids to wear masks, but we do. We'll be right back. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's noticed everything is getting expensive. We're in the biggest economic crisis since 2008 with the government that's printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Consumer prices are the highest we've seen in 30 years, and inflation appears to be here to stay. So if the government continues its out-of-control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world's reserve currency. So how do you protect your money, your retirement, your savings? Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market into a precious metals IRA. And they make it easy. They're the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, and they have thousands of satisfied clients. So if you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. I can't even wrap my mind around that. $1,500 Free silver in your first qualifying order, so don't wait. Why would you wait? Call them now. 866-670-7660. That's 866-670-7660. Or you can text ALEX to 65532, 866-670-7660, or text the word ALEX to 
3-2 for American Hartford Gold. It is becoming increasingly tough to pick the guest of the day. Uh, we spoke to Patrick K. O'Donnell on the live show, uh, who is a combat historian, and we spoke to Dr. Sebastian Gorka, as we do every Thursday, who also was excellent per usual. But we decided that we wanted to share with you our interview with Josh Mandel, who is the former state treasurer of Ohio. He's running for Senate there in a really tight race with lots of other good candidates in the race. But he touches on his experience as a veteran. He touches on the issues that are driving his campaign. We talk talk about uh, the aforementioned story of how America is one of a, only a handful of Western nations that are still masking up children. So we cover a wide variety of topics, and I think he's got a good take on just about all of them. So let's roll it. What does it mean to be a veteran in the year 2021? It seems like it would be a little more disheartening and discouraging relative to years past. It just seems like our uh, armed forces is respected less, and unfortunately, a lot of the upper echelons of the armed forces, I'm thinking Mark Milley, uh, the Mr. White Rage guy uh, in particular, is not as strong of a look as we've had traditionally. And I think that that's uh, troubling. That's a concern right now. It's very troubling. You know, I've, I've been talking to a lot of my Marine Corps buddies recently. We talked yesterday because yesterday is the Marine Corps birthday, and you know, we've we just been catching up recently. And I think everyone like, looks at the military now as a different Marine Corps and a different military in which we served and it has nothing to do with the troops. It has nothing to do with the soldiers, sailors, right. airmen, marine on on the ground. It has to do with exactly what you just said. The general officers and the the high level senior leadership has failed the troops and has failed the country. And they've they've chosen wokeness over war fighting. And we need to get our military back to a place where the the mission and the only mission is war fighting and keeping America safe and just get get rid of all the political correctness and all the wokeness and the, you know, all, all that garbage and, and, and just focus on putting young men and women to stand watch on that wall to keep America safe. What do you think is the path back? Because just like so many of the areas where the left has gotten a foothold, they do it very slowly and methodically and it takes decades. And then all of a sudden we wake up one day and we realize that you know the top uh, military official in the the country is now talking about his white rage and uh, not what's going on in the Middle East or China. Yeah, I mean it's a slow burn. You know, I think it's been like boiling the frog, and like any institution, you know, they did it with academia, they did it with K twelve education, they did it with higher ed, they've done it with the corporate media, obviously. Sure. And now they're doing it with the U.S. military, and I I, I just I didn't think we'd see this day, Alex where the military would be politicized. I always thought that the U.S. military was beyond that and above that, but it's a good lesson for all of this. You know, when you have a commander-in-chief who's mentally checked out and you have generals who are, look, who are more interested in being liked than America being respected, you end up in a situation like this. And whether it's uh, General Milley, Secretary Austin, or a lot of the Biden administration civilians in the Pentagon, they just want to get invited to the cocktail parties in Washington. They just want to be able to line their pockets with uh, big consulting lobbying jobs with the defense contractors once they leave government. And they don't care about the troops on the ground, and they definitely don't care about keeping America safe and secure. And it, it, it's a real, real problem. And you know, think about, Alex, for a moment, the commander-in-chief of our military, Joe Biden, sitting in a room with the commander-in-chief of the Chinese military and the Russian military. You know, it's a scary thought as an American. Put aside Democrat, Republican, all that. Just as an American, as a patriot, it is a scary thought. Do you think this is going to lead to problems when it comes to recruiting? Because it has to, especially now all the forced vaccinations. And, you know, by and large, I'm pro-vaccine, but I'm very negative on the mandates. It's this it's just we're just making it so that we're just weeding out so many people who should should be welcomed into our armed forces, encouraged to get there. I got a call the other day. So I was at the store with my daughter and my phone rings and my, my friend Bob, who's uh, here in Ohio, he makes guns. He makes guns for the U.S. military and other allied forces. They do it right here in Geauga County, Ohio. His son, Robert, 
All Robert ever wanted to do was join the United States Marine Corps. He loves the Marine Corps. He wanted to be a Marine. He is a Marine. He's been in the Marine Corps for 13 years. They are also very devout Christians, their family. And Bob called me almost in tears and said, you know, Robert is having to make a choice to either get the vaccine against his will or be kicked out of the United States Marine Corps, which he loves. The Marine Corps is his life. And the fact that our government is putting our sons and daughters in this position, for me, it's just blood boiling. It should be. Uh, Josh Mandel, by the way, served in the Marines and did two tours in the Anbar province of Iraq. Uh, Let's talk about the Middle East right now. What is your assessment of what is happening in that region? Uh, Last I checked, there's still Americans trapped in Afghanistan. We've all moved on from that. It doesn't seem like there's any reckoning from the civilians we incinerated and the Biden administration lied about it. Uh, I imagine this is troubling, but I want to hear from you. It is very troubling. You know, I I mentioned earlier in in this interview the wokeness over war fighting. That's when the Biden administration began failing on Afghanistan, even before the withdrawal. And then the you know, second enormous mistake they made was not understanding the fighting season there. Uh, you know, in sure. Afghanistan, which is very difficult terrain to uh, um, traverse on top of uh, you know, complicated weather patterns, springtime uh, is, known, is, is not known as the fighting season. Um, summer, fall is. And so the Trump plan to withdraw in the springtime, if Biden would have just executed that, we would not have lost those 13 Marine soldiers, sailor. And the sailor was you know, from right here in Berlin Heights, Ohio. And I believe the blood of those young men and women are on Biden's hands. But Biden, he decides to do the withdrawal right in the middle of fighting season. And then in a decision that I believe will go down as one of the worst decisions by a commander-in-chief in American military history, he voluntarily abandons Bagram Air Base, you know, the, the equivalent, you know, the comparison I've made, and people need to understand this, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is one of the largest Air Force bases in the world. It's here in Dayton, Ohio. What Biden did was by, by abandoning Bagram but leaving Kabul open, he abandoned the equivalent of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, but he left the Dayton airport open. And so how are you going to get all these American troops, American civilians, American allies, American military technology and equipment out from a civilian airport that the Taliban controls when you could have used an actual air base, military air base. And listen, you don't need to be a military expert. You just have to have common sense to know that ingress, egress is paramount You know, when you're trying to move troops and technology and equipment. But instead, Biden left behind, you know, over 22,000 Humvees, 16,000 pairs of night vision goggles, 58,000 assault rifles, over 350,000 machine guns. And Alex, when I was in the Marine Corps and the intelligence community, one of the things we used to inventory the population, both allies and enemies, was a biometric system, you know, scanning the iris, the eyes of uh, military-age males there and, and doing facial scans. Biden left behind that database. So the Taliban, literally, as you and I talk today, the Taliban is using the American Talibase, uh, the American database of allies who helped us there to kill them. They're using our database as a kill list. And so I can go on and on. I mean, it's uh, the order of magnitude on which he failed there. Um, will have ripple effects for for generations. And as you said very articulately, he projected weakness at a time when we need to project strength. Let's talk a little bit about something that came earlier in the show, but I want your take on this. I I, I caught something that's pretty stunning uh, last night, which is that America is apparently one of uh, only, I think, seven Western countries that are still masking up their kids and uh, the vast majority of other countries uh, in the West even are not doing this. Why did we get to this point where we're we're doing this, where we're masking children, uh, regardless of what you even think of the mask for adults, which I, I imagine you're about the same place where I'm at on it, which is I would love to see the evidence. But the masking of the kids seems completely sinister at this point, and yet we're still there. Uh, give me your thoughts. I don't know. I'm not sure if you followed what I did here in Ohio, but I've been working with moms all across Ohio to stop these mask mandates. So about a month ago, I got invited to speak at a school board meeting in Lakota, 
which is suburban Cincinnati. Uh, mom there, her name's Darby, she invited me to, to speak against the mask mandates and against the critical race theory and comprehensive sex education, some of this other insanity. So in accordance with the school board rules, she gets up there and says, I'm going to yield my time to Josh Mandel. I start talking about why mask mandates are bad for kids, talk about the fact that the masks are completely unsanitary for our kids. On top of that, suicide rates are up, depression rates are up, kids are having trouble socializing, they're having trouble learning, they can't, act, they can't see their teacher's face and mouth while they're talking. And on top of all that, this should not be a decision for government school officials, for bureaucrats, school administrators, superintendents. It's a decision for moms and dads to make. And as, if we as parents want our kids to wear masks, then that's a decision a parent can make. I surely do not want my kids wearing masks. I think it's bad for them both you know, health-wise, mentally, and physically. But it should be up to each parent. It should not be up to the government schools. It should not be up to these faceless bureaucrats. So, Alex, I'm, I'm in the middle of making these remarks. The school board president tries to gavel me down, calls the sheriff to the front of the room, and has me escorted out of the school board meeting. Yeah, and I couldn't believe it. I turned around to the moms in the audience and said, are we in America? Like, what is yeah. going on here? Now, I remember a time in this country where school boards would complain. You know, they'd say, man, I wish that more parents were coming to our meetings. I wish that more taxpayers were coming to our meetings. So now we're showing up, and they're kicking us out. It's outrageous. And the, the parents in the school district were so enraged that I got booted out. And I got booted out because I was out there speaking on behalf of their kids. They started communicating and protesting to the school board. The school board got spooked. They canceled their next meeting, so total lack of transparency and courage. And then this mom who invited me to the school board meeting, Alex, in an uh, act of beauty and justice, the voters elected her to the school board there, and she booted out one of these incumbents. Wow, and so that's cool. Th- yeah, it's beautiful. And this is what's happening all over Ohio and all over America. It is power to the parents' time. Uh, Josh Mandel, former state treasurer of Ohio, candidate for U.S. Senate at Josh Mandel, Ohio on Twitter. Josh, you have a campaign website you want to throw out? Yeah, our our campaign website is joshmandel.com. I'm a proud Marine Corps vet, proud American. I'm a dad, and I'm pro-God, pro-gun, pro-Trump. I've got a few minutes left, and I want to get just sort of your broader positions on some of the key issues. If you go to the Senate, these are going to be big deals. Uh, we'll start with China. Uh, give me your take on China. Maybe we get the Beijing Olympics coming up. We've got China uh, practicing, I guess, bombing American warships right now. Uh, give me your thoughts. I think both Democrat and Republican administrations, senators, congressmen have failed on China. They failed to show backbone. They failed to show strength. They failed to fight for the American people. Um, President Trump was the first president in my lifetime to actually combat China when it came to economic cheating, combat China when it came to currency manipulation, combat China when it came to intellectual property theft, and so on and so forth. And you know, I think what we're seeing now with the um, problem with you know shipping and logistics and getting goods to America, it ex- accentuates the Trump America First agenda and his focus within that policy agenda on manufacturing and making things here in the United States in places like Lorain, Ohio, and places like Youngstown, Ohio, and places like Dayton, Ohio. And so as a United Senator, as a the next United States Senator from Ohio, I'm going to be at the pointy tip of the spear in continuing what Trump did to combat the economic cheating coming from China to combat the intellectual property theft, to combat the currency manipulation, and and really combat their focus on bringing down our country. Now, listen, the problem in politics today vis-a-vis China is you have all these politicians in Washington, Democrat and Republican, who are thinking is in terms of 24-hour news cycles and election cycles, while Xi and the Chinese, they're thinking in terms of decades and generations and centuries. And we need senators and leaders in this country who are willing to think long-term, who are willing to think strategically, and who've got the backbone and the intestinal fortitude to take on the Chinese Communist Party.
Let me ask you about big tech. This is a big puzzle for the right because they are, uh, I think, controlling so much of what we speak and uh, what we are able to say and what is able to gain currency in our culture and all this has direct impact on our elections. I think everyone across the board is in agreement that no one's happy with big tech at this point. But what is to be done about it? I'm sure it's a multi-party answer, but I want to get your thoughts. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of debate within the Republican Party about Section 230. Um, I'm, a, I'm a believer that um, the big tech companies, are the, the executives there are thugs, and they should not have exemption from liability. I think they've lied to the federal government. You know, the phone companies, they got the, you know, Section 230 exemptions, and they basically said, hey, we're going to be common carriers. We're not going to judge what's being said on our phone lines. And in exchange for that, you know, we don't want to be liable if someone's doing you know, criminal stuff on, on our phone lines. That with the phone companies way back when made sense. The internet companies, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, whoever, Google, they lied to the federal government and said they were not going to judge communications, the nature of the communications on, on their lines. And Alex, they are doing the 180 degree opposite. Exactly what they are doing is judging our communications, and not just any communications. They are judging the communications of us as conservatives, as us as America first believers, us as constitutionalists, us as originalists, whether we believe in stopping abortion or we believe in protecting our Second Amendment rights. You name it, they're coming after us. And now what we've learned, and, and, and this is, I believe, needs to be a top focus for us as conservatives is taking them on in respect to their participation in election cheating. And listen, make no mistake about it. These people will have you believe that they are neutral when it comes to the elections. But Mark Zuckerberg put over $400 million into making the elections in 2020 a process that was unfair and unlevel and leaned towards helping Democrats win however they could. And I believe that Zuckerberg was integrally involved. His money was integrally involved with ballot harvesting, but also they took his money and said, hey, we're just doing voter registration. But coincidentally, they only did voter registration in you know, high propensity Democrat uh, areas, especially in you know, urban African-American areas. And so you know, these guys, they play, to, they play for keeps, and we need United States senators in Washington who will go after them with might and force, and I call them thugs. Um, I call it the oligarchy. I call them thugs, and these guys hate me. I wear it as a badge of honor, and this is one of the fights of our day. They're trampling our Constitution, specifically our First Amendment rights, and we need constitutionalists and fighters with courage in Washington who will take them on. Josh Bandell, I really appreciate the time. We'll have you back soon. Hey, let me just say one thing also for you guys. I appreciate what Breitbart's doing to fight the oligarchy in Silicon Valley. I'm calling you right now from a town called Farallon, Ohio. I stopped on the side of the road, and i got to tell you, these people in Silicon Valley, they look down on us in Ohio. They look down on us in the middle of America. They condescend on us. And I believe that what makes America strong are hardworking people, men and women, moms and dads in places like Fairlawn, Ohio, places like Akron, Ohio, places like Medina, Ohio. And I feel that you guys at Breitbart are on the you know, pointy tip of the spear and trying to advocate for Midwest modest values and not these Silicon Valley or Hollywood values. So I just, right. I just want to say thanks and give you guys props. Right. My pleasure. And thank you for the kind words. And you're so right on this, particularly with the, the word oligarchy, which has been one of the most frequent. I'm sure if someone was doing one of those word diagrams with like the, 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 the giant word images that you see online sometimes, I'm sure oligarchy would, would be pretty big in the, the Breitbart News Daily lexicon. Uh, Josh, I got to run, though. Thanks, my friend. We'll talk to you later. Be right back. Right, as always, we like to feature a call of the day from the many calls we take every day at SiriusXM and the Breitbart News Daily three-hour live show. And today was one of the surreal ones. Uh, listeners were immediately uh, emailing me suggesting that this could be the call of the year. It is uh, Eric from Chicago who called in and said that he is dating a trans person. And I was struggling with the pronouns because he kept saying she and I guess this person was at one point a he and now goes by a she and his trans girlfriend has an incredible point about how actually the she, sure, a, m, they, them pronoun, the hysteria that we're in right now, 
actually kind of undermines the whole point of being a trans person to begin with, which is that you're a man who wants to be a woman or a woman who wants to be a man. Uh, a complex call and something that was truly fascinating to be a part of, and I'm going to share with you right now. My girlfriend is trans, and we've discussed, maybe had this discussion on many occasions, <laughs> and she don't understand, and we're on the same page with this. It makes no sense. For years, trans women have been wanted to be seen just as that, as women. I'm not going to debate right, wrong, nothing of that with you. But she feels that all this, and I agree with her, really does nothing. One, confuses people. And two, to a certain extent, is, is a setback for trans women. So you're saying your girlfriend transitioned to a woman and just wants to yes. be known as a woman. And so the Z-Zier they them stuff that actually takes away from her narrative is the i was this and now i'm that it is now that i'm actually z zero m a whatever it is and that's actually more confusing yeah absolutely and she's she, i don't i'm not a she don't even know she's like i don't even know what a zim zero is if someone misgenders your girlfriend eric then what is the reaction is it offense is it understanding is it anger like what is it I mean, I'll be totally honest with you. According to her, nobody has ever misgendered her. She has transitioned from, she never went through puberty as a male. She was literally got approval to get castrated at 13 years old. She never went through puberty. And you cannot look at her and say, I can point them out of my way. You can't look at her and tell she, you know, she biologically was a male. Do you mind if I asked Eric where you guys met? Actually, I met her at a bar in uh, Salt Lake City. (laughs) I'm, I'm a truck driver. I, I, I didn't. You know, I didn't know she was when I met her. I got American parts. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our producers Paul D'Amelio and Greg Evan doing an amazing job. Make sure to tell ten thousand friends and family members about the new show. Give us a five star rating. We appreciate that very much. Thanks so much to Robert Marlowe and other members of the Breitbart team that make the show possible. We're back tomorrow for another edition of the Breitbart News Daily podcast. Mm-hmm.